0: Welcome back to Reality Asserts Itself on the Real News Network. I'm Paul Jay, and we're continuing our series of discussions with Stephen Cohen. And his biography is down below the video player, and you really should watch the first few segments anyway, and you'll get where we are. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. So, I've watched several of your interviews. You've done uh, Larry King and others, and you've been, you know, positive about Trump's attitude towards. Sort of a detente, lowering tensions with Russia. And in in terms of my personal view, I think you're right. Uh, I I think anything that lowers tensions between two nuclear powers is a good thing. Um, And I think this self righteous American attitude towards uh, Putin and Russia, when you look at the scale of crimes committed by countries internationally, There is nothing that Russia has done that compares to the Iraq war and go on and on with what the United States has uh, done, and to have some self-righteous attitude. Uh, Two, it's clear it's all about, it's so hypocritical to worry about uh, political rights in Russia, because it's clear in terms of US foreign policy, if you can ally with Saudi Arabia, the Israeli occupation, and you name it, how many dictators the United States has supported over the years, it's not about democracy. So what, whatever Trump's intent is, I think I agree that this is a good thing to—I these are this, is, I actually think Trump framed it quite well himself, where he said, Russia's not our adversary, they're our competitor, the way other big capitalist countries are competitors. I think all that makes sense. Where I push back is I think you need to add that one of the prime reasons Trump wants to diminish uh, tensions with Russia, assuming he really does, because some of the people that work for him, Nikki Haley in the UN and others, have said as outrageous stuff about Russia as any uh, Democrat has said. All that being said, I think the Trump presidency is one of the most dangerous presidencies ever. because and, And he is planning, and his whole foreign policy agenda has been regime change in Iran, and I think that if they don't accomplish that through uh, demo- economic warfare against Iran, the, uh, with John Bolton there, the possibility of some kind of at least bombing attack on Iran before 2020 is very possible. One of the reasons I think he wants to lower tensions with Russia is so he can go after China. Uh, his uh, defense Sec- acting defense secretary justified this new military expenditure with, you know, the new budget, the $765 billion budget, with three words, China, China, China. You know, their strategic vision, and you can see this in Steve Bannon's uh, interviews and language, is that, you know, diminish the tensions with Russia, go after Iran and go after China. And I think one needs to say this, otherwise it kind of looks like, you know, Trump is some kind of peacenik. And far from it. I think they're militarists.
1: Not sure what the question is, though. Well, my question is, is is uh, it about his?
0: Well, my question is, I think when you are, you know, saying positive things about Trump, diminishing tensions with Russia, which I think is correct, but I think you need to add, this guy does not have peaceful intentions. He's very dangerous.
1: I live in a social realm, to the extent that I have any social life at all anymore, where people. Uh, get very angry if I say or anybody says anything positive about Donald Trump. When Trump was campaigning in 2016, he said, I think it would be great to cooperate with Russia. All of my adult life, uh, my advocacy in American foreign policy, and I've known presidents, Uh, The first George Bush invited me to Camp David to consult with him before he went to the Malta summit. I've known presidential candidates, senators and the rest, and I've always said the same thing. American national security runs through Moscow, period. Nothing's changed. In the era of weapons of mass destruction, not only nuclear but primarily nuclear, ever more sophisticated, Uh, The Russians now have a new generation of nuclear weapons. Putin announced them on March 1. They were dismissed here, but they're real. They can elude any missile defense. We spent trillions on missile defense to acquire a first strike capability against Russia. We said it was against Iran, but nobody believed it. Russia has now thwarted us. They now have missile defense evading nuclear weapons. From submarines to aircraft to missiles. And Putin has said it's time to negotiate an end to this new arms race, and he's 100% right. So when I heard Trump say in 2016 we have to cooperate with Russia, I had already become convinced, and I spell this out in my new book, War with Russia? Question mark, that we were in a new Cold War but a new Cold War more dangerous than the preceding one, for reasons I give in the book. One of them being these new nuclear weapons. So I began to speak positively about Trump at that moment, that would have been probably around the summer of 2016, just on this one point, because none of the other candidates were advocating cooperation with Russia. And as I told you before, Paul, All my life I've been a detente guy. Detente means cooperate with Russia. Um, I saw in Trump the one candidate who said this is necessary in his own funny language. Uh, Mrs. Clinton on the other hand was very much a hawk. When she said publicly that Vladimir Putin has no soul you could not commit or utter a more supreme statement of anti-diplomacy, and particularly addressing the Russians, Russians who put a lot of stock in Seoul. To say somebody has no soul and then go on to equate him with Hitler, I found that so irresponsible. Uh, I didn't vote for Trump, but I did begin to write and broadcast that this was of vital importance, that we have this discussion, that we needed a new detente because of the new and more dangerous Cold War. Since he's been president, I think he's been ineffective in regard to pursuing detente with Russia for a couple of reasons. I think that the people who invented Russiagate were the enemies of detente, and they piled on. So they've now demonized Russia. They've crippled Trump. Anything he does does diplomatically with uh, Putin is called collusion. No matter what Mueller says, it's collusion. Uh, This is anti-democracy, and detente is pursued through democracy. So whatever he really wants to do, it's hard to say. He's been thwarted. I think it's also one of the reasons why he put anti-detente people around him.
0: Why did he pull out of the arms treaty?
1: So this is a separate separate issue now, and a complicated one. we have been in inviolate- Let, let's, let's, let's be clear for folks which treaty we're talking about. We're talking about the so-called intermediate range treaty. This banned the deployment of missiles that could fly roughly from 500, I think, to 3,000 miles. They were exceedingly dangerous. The American ones had been based in Europe. They were very dangerous because they, 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 they tested uh, uh, high alert systems. They flew low, fast, they could elude radar. They were dangerous. Uh, Reagan and Gorbachev abolished them, 1987, correct? Now stop and think for a minute, Paul. What Reagan and Gorbachev did in 1987 was the first ever, ever in history act of nuclear abolitionism. They abolished an entire category of nuclear weapons. That was a sacred act. It needed to be cherished and preserved forever, no matter what difficulties emerged. But then comes a history, and we need to remember the history. In 2002, the second President Bush withdrew the United States unilaterally from the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty, correct? Now, what would, this treaty was related because it forbid the deployment of so-called missile defense in a way that either side, American or Russian, could think that it had such great missile defense, it had a first strike capability. And everybody agreed nobody should think that. Mutual assured destruction had kept us safe in the nuclear age. But if Russia or the United States gets a first strike capability, then you don't have assured mutual destruction. And some crazy person must might be tempted to, to, to risk it. So how did the Russians react to that? They began to develop, as I said before, when we began to deploy missile defense, a new generation of weapons. And words, you're getting this classic action, reaction, action, reaction that drove the previous nuclear arms race, and now it's happening again. So that brings us to Trump's decision. We don't know yet where it's going to lead because Trump has said, said, he he said, we're withdrawing. He said the Russians have been in violation. But in fact, we've been in violation since we deployed the missile defense systems. Just for the record, by the way, and Professor Theodore Postal at MIT has been very good about this, these missile defense installations that we've installed around Russia, land, air, and sea, can actually fire cruise missiles. They are in violation of that intermediate range treaty. So we've been in systematic violation. Push has come to shove. Uh, we withdrew, the Russians have now withdrawn. But Trump has said two things that are interesting and maybe correct. That technically, the treaty was out of date because of the new weaponry. And secondly, who has the most cruise missiles? China. What was it 30 years ago, whatever, in 1987, it was the, only the United States and Russia, Soviet Union. But now China, because of its vast regional presence, has all these intermediate range missiles. So Trump says offhandedly, maybe in a tweet, have you ever looked at the military budget of Russia, China, and the United States? It's obscene. We should cut it. What does that mean? What does that mean? It's a good idea, right? Then he said, we can't have such a treaty without China. The Russians know this too. So let us hope that what they're stumbling toward is a new modernized, intermediate range ban that would include China. China, however, will never sign it. But, but, if they begin the negotiations, and China doesn't deploy anymore during the negotiations, and the negotiations go on indefinitely, we are safer than we now are. Now, do I think that Trump is cunning and thought this up? I'm not sure, but he's got China on the mind. And I don't quite agree with you that He's got a kind of dualistic attitude toward China. It's a threat, but every time he makes a new trade deal with China, he brags on it, that it's great for us. You would agree with that, right? He's always talking about, we're going to have this wonderful trade agreement with China that's going to be so good for us. So in his mind, Trump's mind, China is kind of potentially, in his businessman mind, this big economic plus. That he alone is going to get right, let him try.
0: I don't know how much of this policy, at all, is Trump or not Trump. I think the brains behind a lot of this policy now is Bolton, and some of the other neocon crazies but around. But Trump him.
1: has been saying the same thing about cooperating with Russia long before he took on Bolton. Yeah. Now there's two ways to look at this. But his,
0: but his his
1: attitude towards China. Right. Well, but just stay for one minute on Russia, because the China thing is worth, worth talking about, too. But he says, almost alone, for the first time, how long has it been since we had a president really pursue detente? It's been a very long time. Uh, Obama called it a reset, but it was fraudulent. It was basically saying to the Russians, give us everything, and we weren't going to give you anything. It was doomed from the beginning. Plus, they wagered that Putin wouldn't return to The presidency. Do you know, by the way, speaking of meddling, that Biden went to Moscow and told Putin not to return turn to the presidency in 2012? No. No, wrap your head about that a minute, around that a minute. The vice president of the United States goes to Moscow and tells Putin, who's now prime minister, because he termed out, but he could return, right? We don't think you should return to the presidency. So, you know what I'm wondering? I'm wondering whether Biden's calling up Putin today and asking Putin whether he, Biden, should get into the uh, presidential race here. I mean, what the hell? What the hell? And we talk about meddling. So the point about Trump, to finish this, is for the first time in many, many years, a presidential candidate, one that I didn't vote for and didn't care for, had said it's necessary to cooperate with
0: Russia. Okay. But I think you've got to contextualize it, because it's not enough because, first of all, Trump's a big liar and everyone from beginning to end. For real. Politicians lie, Paul. No, but, but, w- welcome but I world. think he lied on Russia. About what? Think, well, on two things. Uh, I think, number one, the, lied. The, I think two things drove his Russia. Let me, the, me get my well, word. Let me, then let I'll mean, give it to
1: you. I promise I'll pass it right to you. When, because this, this is going to set you up beautifully. When he said, Trump, 2016, it's necessary to cooperate with Russia. There are two ways to interpret that. He was wise and smart, or the Kremlin had something on
0: him. No, I don't think and either that, of those that, are true.
1: And then we go straight to Russia Neither again. of those are true. Well, I'm not saying you say that, but that's the way it was taken. No, I
0: think there's two things drove the Russia thing. Number one, they wanted sanctions lifted, because Tillerson and the American oil companies, especially Exxon, wanted to, a big energy play in Russia, and they needed to lift the sanctions to do it. And Tillerson was all positioned for it. And if it hadn't been for this whole Russiagate stuff, they would have sailed along, had a detente, lifted the sanctions, and had a a whole realm of new energy. You, You mean under Trump? Under Trump. And I think that would have been a good thing. I'm not critiquing that in the sense that anything that reduces tensions between the United States and Russia is a good thing. Normalizing, even if it's exploitive and ripping off the Russian people and their oil, I don't care. The nuclear threat is so paramount, anything that reduces those tensions are good. But these are not peacenik attentions.
1: Where do we attentions. disagree? You've lost
0: I'm not saying we necessarily disagree on this. The second part of it is, and this is where I think is the dangerous part, because I think sometimes when Trump and, and, and Putin get together and talk quietly, part of that conversation could well be about Iran, because when they had the first big round of sanctions on Iran, Russia supported them. Russia came in on it, and if, you're, if your if foreign policy objective and clearly it is between whether it was Flynn or whether it was Mattis or whether it was uh, Bolton, all of them are regime change in Iran is the prime objective. And if you want to do that, I, wouldn't you want Russia to, at the very least, step back a little bit? I got you now. Step back I, I see a little where, bit. Going. Number one and number two the big strategic guns are focused on China. So if you want to focus on China, wouldn't it be nice to have a strategic uh, normalization with Russia, try to split Russia from China? Because in their minds, the real enemy is not Russia. The real enemy is a superpower and in an economy. Whose mi- in whose mind? Uh, much of the American foreign policy establishment, both Democrats and The real Republican. enemy is? China. Because that's the global All economy right. that's let, going to be the competing let, superpower. Let's say you're right. And I, 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 that doesn't in any way say it's still, in the final analysis, a good thing if Trump can diminish these tensions. Well, no, if I understand But you, let's give it the whole context.
1: Well, but it doesn't, I'm not sure what the whole context is. It seems to me you just said to me that, that Trump and these people were playing for Russia's support against Iran and China. As one piece of
0: the, as the one piece of this, yeah. Well, if so,
1: it's a fool's folly. Russia is leaving the West. I mean, it can't leave the West geopolitically because Russia's so big, it's half in the West and half in the un-West, right, yeah. geographically. But American foreign policy, NATO expansion, the unwise policies made in Brussels and Washington are driving Russia from the West. No doubt. And when you leave the West, where do you end up, Paul?
0: Uh, they are pushing exactly so the kind do you of alliance.
1: Well, with China, of course, and not only China. Where else? All non-all major powers that are not members of NATO, including Iran. So, we, when Putin came to power, he was very much in the tradition of Gorbachev and Yeltsin. He wanted a strategic alliance with the United States. Yeah. Who was the first person to call up Bush after nine eleven? Putin. And he said, George, anything. And if you go back and look at what the Russians did to help the American ground war in Afghanistan against the Taliban, whether you think that was a good idea or not, that ground war, Russia did more to save American lives, Russian soldiers, fighting men in Afghanistan, than any NATO country did.
0: No, Iran did more than any NATO country to help America.
1: But Russia had assets, unbelievable assets, and quarters for transportation, and even an army, the Northern Alliance, it had kept in Afghanistan, it gave it all to the United States. Putin wanted a strategic alliance with the United States, and what did he get in return? He got from Bush, the second Bush, more NATO expansion, right to Russia's borders, and as I mentioned before, American withdrawal from the anti-ballistic missile treaty, which had been the bedrock of Russian nuclear security for 30 or 40 years. He got betrayed. And they use that word, Predatostva, we were betrayed by Washington. This is serious stuff. The pivot away from the West begins there and continues with these crazy policies that Washington has pursued toward Russia. It doesn't mean that Russia is gone forever from the West. But if you look at the billions of dollars of investment, you look at which way the pipelines flow, you look at Russia—Putin meets, like, six times a year, maybe more, with the leader of China. They've each called each other their best friend in politics. Trump meets with Putin and we think, oh, my God, how could he meet—I mean, it's normal. Netanyahu just met with Putin. Nobody said a word. But the, the point here is, is that Russia's been torn between East and the West forever. Its best policy, in its own best interest, is to straddle East and West, not to be of the East or of the West. But it's impossible in this world today. And US-led Western policy, since the end of the Soviet Union, and particularly since Putin came to power in 2000, has persuaded the Russian ruling elite that Russia cannot count any longer, economically, politically, militarily, on being part of the West. It has to go elsewhere. So all this talk about wanting to win Russia to an American position that's anti-Iranian and anti-Chinese is conceived in disaster and will end in disaster. They should think of some other foreign
0: policy. I agree. But I think that's what Trump, the people around Trump that wanted the Dayton. He should get new people then. Well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll tell you truthfully, if, if Trump Just. really wants to cooperate with Russia for the sake of American national security, if we forget all this Russiagate stuff, and we say the guy is a little dim. But his idea is right. You've got to cooperate with Russia. He has to get some new advisors because the people around him don't have a clue how to do it.
0: I don't think that is the intent. The intent is make money. I don't think there's any other intent. Make money for arms manufacturers, hope dies less. fossil hope, fuel. Hope
1: dies less. I just don't see that constant bashing of Trump, demeaning him, though it's so easy to do, helps us think clearly about American national interests.
0: I don't think bashing Trump by dredging up the demons of the Cold War is anything but warmongering. On the other hand, I don't think we should create any illusions about who Trump is. So let me, let me give you, uh, depart with a paradox.
1: Uh, we shouldn't have any illusions about who Trump is. That seems or like a, the, who the system is, really. uh, Okay. So let's say, I mean, that seems a sensible point of view. But let me ask you a question. Why was it that American presidents since Eisenhower, could do detente with Soviet communist leaders, and they weren't demonized after Stalin, but we're not permitted, and certainly Trump is not permitted, to do detente with a Russian Kremlin anti-communist leader, which Putin is. Do we like the communists better than the anti-communists
0: in the Kremlin? No, I'll give you what I think. It's just a a layman's opinion. I think the foreign policy establishment, the elite, they were absolutely furious that after all these decades of trying to overthrow the Soviet Union and they finally accomplish it, although I think it was mostly an internal phenomenon, but still, and then they get Yeltsin and they have an f- open uh, Wild West grabbing all these resources. I think they were really pissed that a state emerged led by Putin that said, hold on. It may be oligarchs, but they're going to be Russian. And you Americans aren't going to have a free-for-all taking up the resources and owning the finance. We're not going to be, uh, you know, a third-world country to your empire. That's correct. And they're pissed off at that.
1: They meaning?
0: The Americans. Our people. Our people. Well, I don't want, I don't want to even take ownership but Don't them. run away. Yeah.
1: I don't know your age. I'm 67. So we've established that I'm older than you. No doubt. But, but you, you look younger. I'm
0: pissed at that.
1: Well that's a separate subject. You got more hair. (laughs) I got more hair. Uh, You've distracted me. What we share, despite the age difference, is that we grew up at a time when we were told, whether you or I believed it or not, but our generations, two generations, were told that we're against Russia because it's communist. We were told that for decade after decade after decade. Now Russia, the Kremlin, is not communist, it's anti-communist, and we're still against Russia. How do Russian intellectuals and policymakers interpret that turnabout, that it was never about communism, it was about Russia? There's a saying in Russia, formulated by a philosopher, his name is Zinoviev, he's, he passed on but he was he's very influential. They were shooting, meaning the West they were shooting at communism, but they were aiming at Russia. And the view very widespread among the Russian policy intellectual class today is that Washington, in particular, will never accept Russia as an equal great power in world affairs, regardless of whether Russia is communist or anti-communist. And if that is so, Russia has to entirely reconceive its place in the world and its thinking about the West. And that point of view is ascending in Russia today due to Western policy. But just remember the view that all during the previous Cold War, they claimed they were shooting at communism, but it was really Russia. And they still are today. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, I just. Well, we don't want. But you and I may agree, but we don't want Russians to think that way.
0: Yeah, but I think the the view coming out of World War II about being the global hegemon, the superpower, what that also means is you can't have any adversarial regional powers. And whether it's Russia or Iran, if you're not in the Amer- American sphere of influence, umbrella, you funny. can't be there.
1: It's funny you say that. I mean, I'm not a, a, a Putin
0: apologist or
1: a Trump apologist, but I do like intellectual puzzles. If you're saying that we have to give up our thinking about a multipolar world, so to speak, that, that there'll be other regional superpowers or great powers. Then isn't Trump the first American president who seems to be okay with that? I don't see in Trump much demand that we be number one. Oh, I think make America great again. But he didn't say make America number one again.
0: I don't, I don't Maybe that's what
1: he means, but
0: you don't have any I don't Trump. think it kind of matters what the hell Trump thinks or says. I, I mean, think-
1: ha- have you heard Trump say this thing that Obama and Madeleine Albright ran around saying for years that America's the indispensable nation? Do you know how aggravated that made other states in the world? I mean, stop and think about it. Who runs around saying we're indispensable? I haven't heard Trump say that. Maybe he has.
0: I I just don't think we should put too much weight into whatever Trump says. I think he's a vehicle. He's a vessel. You
1: you take what you can get these days, He's
0: a vessel, first and foremost, for the uh, arms manufacturers, for the uh, fossil fuel industry. He's a vessel for right-wing evangelical politics. He's not a a philosopher king. He's not a peacenik. You have to have priorities. I think he's rather banal.
1: Yeah, probably, but you have to have priorities. My priority in international affairs is to avoid a military conflict with Russia. In my book, my new book, War with Russia, question mark. When I start writing that book in 2013, I never intended to give it that title. But as I worked and watched events unfold since 2013 to 2019, for the first time in my long career, I thought war with Russia was possible. I didn't even think there was going to be war during. As I remembered, I don't remember it vividly, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Today, I assure you, the new Cold War is fraught with multiple Cuban missile crises. Take your pick in the Baltic area where NATO is building up, in Ukraine, where we have got ourselves involved in a proxy war, in Georgia, where NATO is trespassing again, as we talk, in Syria where American and Russian forces are flying and fighting in the ground in close proximity. By the way, Trump was absolutely right in withdrawing those, what were they, 3,000 Americans in Syria, because what if a Russian had killed just one of them, with Trump in the White House? The tripwires of war between nuclear Russia and nuclear America are far greater and more Uh, and more multiple than they have ever been. That's the danger. Therefore, at this moment, if Trump says it's necessary to cooperate with Russia, on that one issue we must support him. It's existential at this moment. And believe me, and believe me, people love to hate on Putin in this country. Putin's evil, Putin's bad. It's nonsense. Putin is a recognizable leader in Russia's tradition. Putin, as you said, I think before, came to power, wanting an alliance with the United States. He's spoken of his own illusions publicly. Leaders very rarely admit they ever had an illusion, right? It's not that they do. He is reproached in Russia, reproached in Russia for still having illusions about the West. You know what they say about him in high places in Russia? He's not proactive. He just reacts. He waits for the West to do something abysmal to Russia, and then he acts. Why doesn't he foresee what's coming? What do they cite? They cite Ukraine.
0: Well, that's the next segment, because my question to you is going to be, did Putin make a mistake in Crimea? So please join us for the continuation of our series of interviews with Stephen Cohen on Reality Asserts Itself on The Real News Network.